You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Lord, we thank you for making us singing people, for creating us in your image. We know that you are a God who sings over us. And Lord, we, we rejoice that we can know you, and that you have made a way for us to know you through Christ, and that now you have sent your spirit to dwell in us so that now we can sing a song of joyful praise to you. Lord, help us even during this time as we think about singing with your people and writing songs for your people. Lord, we pray that you would build up each congregation that's represented here. Lord, make our churches more and more holy, more and more united, and more and more bold in proclaiming the good news of salvation through Jesus. And we pray that our singing would help to make our congregations grow and help us glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I made a handout um, because it helped me to organize my thoughts. So if it's helpful to you, you can follow along. They should be scattered on the seat. So if you, if you don't have one, just look and find one and grab it. I made a hundred. Hopefully there's enough. Uh, if, you, if you don't have one and you're really desperate for one, raise your hand. And if somebody has an extra, I'm sure they will graciously bring one your way. Um, we're talking about writing melodies for congregational singing. So it's a really specific talk. We're not thinking about lyrics. That's really important. It's arguably more important. Uh, so you can go to other <laughs> seminars and learn from more gifted teachers than me on how to write a good God-glorifying lyric. We're really just going to be thinking about tunes. Uh, so I, I trust this time will be useful. Let's have some fun with it. Uh, so I have six sections that we're going to talk through. Uh, number one, why should we write new melodies? Just making the case for this. Two, I want to talk a little bit about finding your congregation's voice. We're going to think through some traits of a congregational song that I've tried to identify. Um, I'm, we're going to get nerdy, and we're going to talk about a, a word I made up, singability, uh, and, and see if we can have some, some examples on that. Uh, I'll give a few suggestions for getting started, just, just some practical techniques for, for beginning a song. And then on the back page, uh, if, if time allows, we're going to talk about trying to keep it fresh, things that we can do to make our songwriting more, more original. Um, all of this is coming from a fellow pilgrim. I feel like I am still learning how to write. I'm, I'm constantly frustrated by the songs I write uh, that are unfinished. Um, so I, I really want to hear from you guys, your ideas, your feedback. Also, when we're, when we're talking about writing a melody, it's, there's inherently an element of subjectivity in this. So I'm going to be talking about a, a congregationally singable melody from my point of view, which is shaped by who I am, where I've grown up, music I listen to, and especially my congregation. Uh, so I just invite you to, to take what I'm saying and try to filter it through to, to your context uh, and what would best serve your people. But first, I want to just briefly talk about why should we be doing this at all and hopefully just encourage those of you who are writing songs and writing tunes in general that this is a good way to spend our time. Uh, it can be frustrating. It can be hard work. And sometimes you might think, I could just open up any hundreds of hymnals and find lots of good classic tunes. I can go on the worship websites, and I can go on the YouTubes, and I can find lots of stuff. So, like, why is there a need for new melodies? You see the five things that I've come up with there. First, God is worthy. He is worthy of new efforts that we can make to praise him. Uh, Psalm 144.9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. So I think if we didn't have a desire to write new tunes, to write new melodies and as, as an expression of our gratitude to God, that might signal that something's wrong. That might signal that we've gotten complacent about the majesty and the, the beauty of God and the wonder of being adopted into his family. So God is, God is worthy. That, that should be enough right there, but here's four more. Uh, number two, creativity honors God and also reflects his image. When we write, when we seek to use the gifts that he's given us to express something that's timeless, that's beautiful, we are reflecting something of what he's like, and that glorifies him. 
Number three, to serve new lyrics. There are great new hymn texts being written, hopefully by, by some of you. Um, and these new texts could be set to old melodies, but it can often help highlight the truths that we're seeking to teach when we write a new tune, a new melody uh, that's fresh. So, so that, that's another reason. Number four, songs are portable theology lessons. The, the reasons that, that music is so powerful for Christians is because it's, it's a marriage of theology and melody. And music helps to make the truths stick to our hearts. It sort of creates a conduit between our head and our heart. Uh, so I think we want to write not just melodies that work, but melodies that stir our hearts first and then the hearts of our people by enabling them to engage with rich truths about who God is and what he's done. So it's just a, a worthy goal. We are writing music not to make money, not to make a hit, uh, but A, to, to honor God, and then B, to, to actually teach. So I'm thinking about songwriting as discipleship, as disciple-making. And number five, every congregation is different. Uh, we live in an era of cultural fracturing on the one hand. There's all these different little musical subcultures. Gone are the days when there's one main artist and everyone buys a Michael Jackson record because that's what everyone listens to. These are the days when there's all these different indie artists and little stations and, and subcultures. So there's fracturing on, on the one hand, but there's also a lot of cultural synergy and overlap on the other hand, where I think people are much more omnivorous in their musical tastes uh, than, than before. So it's, I think, more common today than, say, 20 years ago for someone to be a, a fan of, of country music and hip-hop. We have all, all these different little musical styles. A lot of us have all of them in our earbuds all, all the time. All that to say is, I believe that wherever you are, the different types of churches that we're in, whether that's different by, by region, uh, by the sorts of generations you have in your church, the sorts of cultural groups uh, and eth ethnic backgrounds you have in your church, the, the person who knows best how your church sings is you. Um, and there's lots of music you can find on, on the mass market, uh, the, the Christian mass market that you can use, but there's something to be said for indigenous composition within the congregation. I'm not saying every church needs to have a songwriter or needs to have songs written by someone from that church, but if a church does have someone who can write songs, particularly for that church, I think that's a worthy goal of saying, what, what is the way that our church sings and can we write songs that fit that expression? Which leads me to number two, finding your congregation's voice. If, if this is something that we're, we're hoping to do, aiming to do, I want to commend us in this session on the ministry of songwriting for the local church. Uh, for those of you who are, who are just here with Sandra McCracken, we heard a great session on, on her approach to, to songwriting, and there was some Q&A and discussion about writing for personal expression versus writing corporately, and both are good, both are valuable. So if you write songs that are just for yourself, just to use in your own devotional time with the Lord, that's great. If you write other songs that you share with people, whether it's at a coffee house, singer-songwriter kind of events, or you're putting it up on, on, on the internet, that's great too. But here, I want us to be thinking about a particular discipline of writing for the church. So an analogy. When I prepare a sermon, I use two books. I use my Bible, and I use my church membership directory. That is my second most important book. And as I'm studying a text, I am looking through these faces. We have little kind of thumbnail uh, photos in there. I'm looking through these names, and I'm asking myself, what are my flock? What are they struggling with? What are their sorrows and their hopes and their fears and their joys? Uh, I'm taking the truth of the text that's, that I'm interpreting, and then I'm seeking to apply it not just to sort of generic vacuum of Christians, but to you know, Bob and Bill and Maxine. And I think songwriting, we can approach it the same way. In one sense, we're writing to the church. We want to write a song that will minister to and bless and encourage our people. And we're also writing for the church. We are literally putting something in their mouths. Um, so when it comes to the musical side of writing, I think we need to discern what is in my congregation's mouth. What, what's my congregation's voice? Uh, a few ways we could go about this. Become a music analyst. You know, analyze the top 20 songs that you think your church sings best. And sort of put on your music theory hat and ask yourself, what musical traits and characteristics do the melodies 
have in common. And not making a value judgment about what types of songs are better or worse, but just what, what songs does my church tend to sing well? Or you can become a musicologist, you know, conduct field interviews, uh, get among the people. A shepherd should smell like the sheep. So get among the sheep and ask folks, what songs do we sing that are your favorites and why? Trying to separate out the words. That can be hard to do because the words are so tied up with a song. But if you're just humming it, if you're just singing the melody, la, 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 what melodies capture your heart? Or are there some of our songs that you find difficult to sing or that you found difficult to initially learn and why? Take notes on that. See if your answers differ depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to folks in the older generation, if you're talking to folks who may make up an ethnic minority in your church, you might get some interesting data points on that. Then that might shape how, how we write. For, for me, I'm, when I'm writing a song for my congregation, I'm trying to think through, are the folks in their 70s and 80s going to be able to sort of own this melody? Or are they perpetually going to be sort of feeling like they're in a foreign country? Uh, what our, my church has a significant portion of folks who are African-American or Asian-American. I'm not necessarily trying to imitate sort of stock musical styles from a particular cultural group, but I'm just asking myself, okay, is, is the song I'm writing going to be something that lots of different people can at least jump on board with? Or am I limiting it in some way? So I'm, I'm always trying to ask those questions. So that's finding your congregation's voice. With that, as I was thinking through our, our time, I, I wanted to force myself to identify some traits that I think makes a melody singable or, or, or makes it congregational. Again, a lot of this is going to be in the ear of the beholder, uh, so feel free to push back or disagree or, or, or modify these for, for your own setting. But I came up with four things in terms of a goal to shoot for. These are abstract words, and then in the fourth section, I'm going to try to tease these out in more technical sort of concrete language, but it just has abstract goals. Number one, a, a singable congregational tune I think is intuitive, by which I mean the melody is neither so predictable that it's boring, nor so complex that it's baffling. It can be learned after being heard just a few times, but singable doesn't just mean easy to learn. It means you actually want to keep singing it. So I'm not just talking about, you know, happy birthday level of simplicity. I'm talking about a song that you can sing and you also want to sing that, that's intuitive to the voice and to the heart. That's the first thing. Second thing uh, is that a, a singable tune is natural. It suits all the voices in your congregation in terms of its range. So what notes does it include? And how often are the really high notes and the really low notes being sung? Because that can be fatiguing. And the other aspect of being natural is that the phrasing allows you to breathe. Some songs, there's they, so many notes run together that it can be hard to grab a breath, or the phrases are so slow uh, that you have to breathe in the middle of a phrase in, in order to, to make it through to the end. So that's what I mean by natural. Third, it's complementary to the lyrics. And, and again, two aspects of this. First, this means that the, the tone and mood of the melody matches the mood and the meaning of the text. So if the lyric is a lament, or a confession, or longing for Christ's return, the, the melody needs to convey that in some way. There needs to be a, a match there conceptually. But the second aspect of, of complementary is that the tune should fit the phrasing and the meter and accent of the poetry as well. I'll say, you know, from time to time, folks will, will, will give me a song, or send me a song they've written, ask for feedback, which I love to do. Um, and I would say one of the, the more common pieces of feedback I give is, Great, great lyric, great melody. I'm not sure they always match. I'm not sure that the accented syllable in the melody, in the lyric, sorry, is where your accent is musically. And when you're really familiar with the text and when you've written the tune, you can sort of get away with that, with it being off the accent a little bit. But when someone's, it makes it harder to learn for the first time is all I'm saying. So that's just something uh, to think through. Another way to convey that is, one way to convey it is by putting the accented syllable of the poetry on the first beat of the measure. Or it's like if it's a 4-4 bar, putting it on beat one or beat three. Or just on the beat instead of off the beat. But another way, which, which we do all the time, is just by having the accented syllable be a longer note. You know, so it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So the, the fact that that note is held matches up with the fact that it's, it's the 
accented syllable in, in the poetic meter. So that's complementary to the lyrics. Fourth, affective, yes, with the letter A, uh, meaning it moves the emotions, the affects. Uh, a singable song should stir the heart. It shouldn't just obey the rules of music theory. So this is subjective uh, for sure, but I, I do think it's a good goal to, to shoot for. Uh, a singable tune is one that's going to move the hearts of our people, because that's what makes a song get stuck in your memory. Uh, and I think that's what we're shooting for as, as the ideal of a song. Um, here's how Calvin put it in his preface to the Genevan Psalter when they developed a bunch of new hymn tunes in Geneva for congregational use. I, I, I think this is fascinating the way he talks about it. He says, touching the melody, it has seemed best that it be moderated in the manner which we have adopted to carry gravity and majesty appropriate to the subject and even to be suitable for singing in the church. So by moderated, he means that the melodies were really simplified from the complexity of the other stuff that was going at the time. You had a lot of polyphonic things happening, different musical lines and different words kind of overlapping, not singing the same syllable at the same time. Um, and if you know some of some of the tunes from the Genevan Psalter, like the doxology, da, 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 the very sort of elegant mix of quarter notes and half notes that you find in a tune like that, that's pretty typical of, of the sort of tunes that they did. And there's a sort of, there's a simplicity to it. There's, there's not much to it, and yet it sings well. So I think that's a, that tune's a good example of, of what he's trying to describe there. So he, he wasn't aiming at boring or dull. He did want the melodies to be stirring, affective. But there's another quote. He also said, there's a great difference between the music which one makes to entertain people at table and in their homes and the psalms, which are sung in the church in the presence of God and his angels. So leaving the whole question of exclusive psalm singing aside, what, what, what's interesting to me about that is that he saw a benefit to having congregational songs be simpler in their form than performed music. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You, you can take it to an extreme, you can take it too far. But I think he understood that the church's gathering is a unique opportunity and privilege for the people of God. And we are singing not just to God, but Ephesians 5, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which means the type of music, and he identified this 500 years ago, is different than when you sit passively to listen to something and be entertained. Notice he's not against that. You wanna entertain people at, at table? Have them over and, and, and have a, a, you know, a musical performance? Wonderful, and that can be glorifying to God in its own way, but the sort of music and singing that we do in church is different because of the corporate nature. That's not to say that it's dumbed down or, or that in, in some way the musical integrity is lacking. It's just a different type of expression. It is a congregational expression. So that sort of concept is what's behind when I am saying intuitive, natural, complementary to the lyrics, and affective. Those are my sort of summary words for trying to get at what, what Calvin was describing. Let me pause there. What do, you, what do you guys think? Any questions, comments on any of this so far? If, that, if, if there's no questions, that means everybody's eager to get onto the music theory. Yes, let's get technical. All right, so I'm calling uh, these technical reflections, not laws. They're reflections. Um, I'm going to give just some, some music theory notes here, but I think if you're really trying to put your finger on what makes a, wor a tune work congregationally, because I hope that's, that's our goal, um, my main recommendation would actually just be to get to know a couple of really good hymnals really well. Uh, so I hope this seminar is helpful. I, I hope I'm going to give you guys good advice. You, you can be the judge of that. But um, over, over months and years, sing the best songs that are out there. I hope you're already singing them in your church. But, but, but sing them on your own. Play through them. Try to inhabit the best melodies you can find. So I will say, I think for me, the best school for learning what makes a melody singable hasn't been like reading a book or attending a seminar. It's just been going to my church where we have developed over the years a canon of really great tunes. And we have morning and evening services on the Lord's Day. So every Sunday I'm singing 
15 or 16 songs congregationally. And then those are, like I'm sure with all of us, ringing in my head throughout the week and I'm, I'm, I'm going over them and I'm singing them in the shower and hopefully just good melodies, I hope more and more, are becoming part of my bloodstream. So I just want to encourage you in that as well. Um, some, a lot of this is, is caught rather than taught. And that's, and that's good. I mean, this is, this is, music is, is both art and science. Uh, so if that's the art, let's talk about the science. All right, so I've, I've got four, I'm breaking down a, a melody into four components. Melody, meaning the notes that are chosen. Um, harmony, meaning the, the chord progression, <coughs> the tonal development of the song. Rhythm, the, the length of the notes, uh, the, the meter of the song, and then form, the, the layout, the, how, the, how the song's arranged. Um, when it comes to melody, it's, it's a wonderful uh, sort of puzzle to, to decide on the arrangement of notes. And I, I, I think a lot of this just, music is cultural, it's a cultural uh, artifact. And so in our culture, we have a sense for what, what type of motion and, and what type of spacing is pleasing. So you, your option, like you're on a note and you, you have an option of going up, you have an option of going down, you know, or you have the option of staying the same. And when you go up, you have the option of going up by a step or you have the option of going up by a leap. And when you go down, it's the same thing. So not with me if you're, if you're tracking. Um, I, I trust we're most, raise your hand if you, often write melodies. I just want to see a sense of who, okay, so that's, that's most of us, that's, that's great. And if that's not you, that's totally fine too. Take this and, and encourage a melody writer that you know, or take this and start writing. You know, start today, start tomorrow. Um, so I, I was thinking about Joy to the World. Now, it's a traditional sounding hymn. Maybe, maybe you know, we wouldn't write this today, but he, he goes down, it's, it's Handel, he goes down the major scale. So it's, it's not that original, you know, but... So walk down the major scale. So stepwise motion all the way down, and then he has a leap. And then we have stepwise motion up, but it's on repeated notes. So there you've, you've got all the different types of motion that you can have. You've got stepwise down by, by step, you've got a leap up, and then you've got repeated notes. So in one phrase, he has used all of these types of motion. That's all I'm trying to say. So I, I, I think when you're, the, what's so weird about writing melodies is it sort of just comes, you, you write what you write. I guess what I'm encouraging us in is analyzing why we write what we write and why the melodies that we tend to write sound good to us. And I think it's helpful to ask yourself, do I have too, so many leaps that the melody's hard to follow because leaps are a little bit harder to sing. But then again, you don't want a melody that's just all stepwise, like. It's, it, it sounds childish because that's what a kid does when they get come up to the piano. It would be more on a C scale. It wouldn't have any black notes. You see what I mean? You know, it's going to be more pleasing if there's repeated notes. I mean, throw that out. I'm just making this stuff up as we go. But there's, 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 there's changes in direction. There's changes between stepwise and, and leaps. And I think if you look at most of the classic songs, that's what you're going to find. Um, I think repeated notes are undervalued. Um, I think we, we sort of have a sense of, oh, you know, this melody needs to go somewhere. For those who are writing in a more classical hymn uh, genre, if that's more your natural voice, I think in the more modern contemporary praise song, maybe repeated notes are overused. <laughs> You know, that happens a lot in these modern songs. You know, it, which works. Um, whereas those of us who are more on the classical side, it's a little bit more like, uh, you know, it's just like, bro, you would be helped out if it went more like. So. Repeated notes are your friend if you're more of the classical bent. Moving is more your friend if you're tempted to this sort of like anthemic. Hey, right. 
again, we can't set rules, you know, when, it's, when we're talking about uh, stepwise leaping. It, it's, it's just a matter of figuring out are there ruts you tend to fall into and can changing up what you do with stepwise, with leaps, with repeated notes, can that get you out of a rut? Um, and again, asking yourself, what, what sort of melody does my congregation sing, sing well? Um, second, range under melody is worth mentioning. I have written a song or two that has a total range of an octave and a fifth. You know, that's bad. I should probably not do that. I repent in dust and ashes. Please sing my songs. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, the old, the old rule was from C to si shining C. Just do, just do an octave, so middle C being the, the top of the range for, for the men and the bottom of the range for the, for the ladies. That's, that's not a bad rule to follow. Um, I tweeted out that I was going to do a seminar on, on writing singable melodies and, you know, what questions do you have? And range kept on coming back in, in some of the responses. So I didn't expect that, but it, it hit a core, oh, range, you know. Uh, people are saying that uh, they feel a lot of songs are, are out of a congregational range. And I'll, I'll just say, when you're using modern contemporary sort of songs, we usually need to take them down a couple of steps to be used for, for congregational use. So if you're not doing that, please, please consider doing that. Even last night when we sang Living Hope, that song is recorded in E flat. Well then your chorus, there's salvation in your name. But last night, do you know what they did it in? B, yeah. Uh, so we're talking down a major third. Uh, but then, salvation in your name. That, that's, that's a lot better. And that's, that's just the one high note in that song. Um, I would also like to request a moratorium on bridges that start like really low and then jump an octave, but that's just a personal pet peeve. So if that's your thing, please, you know, it's a, it's a free country, but there you go. Now you've heard my, my opinion, my two cents. Uh, I think with range, it's safer to stay near the middle and make sure that when you go low, which is often going to be like at the, at the early part of a melody as it's building and it's sort of, you know, moody. Um, and if you go high, which is often going to be in your chorus or your bridge where you're, you know, being more exclamatory, just, just save it. Sa save the really high parts of your range and the really low parts of your range for a specific use and then keep things more in that, that middle octave. All right, any questions on melody stuff? Yeah, tell me your name. Jim. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, we, we're all a product of the music that we know and that we've heard. So you, you definitely do want to show your, your songs to other folks and say, you know, is this original? Have I ripped this off? I've ripped off stuff. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's subconscious. It's, it's not that you're meaning to. It's, I think it's usually that you're not meaning to. Sometimes I'll write a, a melody and a phrase and somebody will say, oh, that's from such and such song. And I'll be like, I honestly don't know it. So that's just... You know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't even aware of it, which I think is a good reminder that especially when we're talking about congregational songs, there's going to be some ruts that we tend to fall into. That's okay, in a sense. I'm not, I'm not encouraging us to plagiarize, but I'm, I'm encouraging us to do what sings well. Um, yes, make it original. I have some ideas on the back page about uh, trying to keep melodies fresh, so we'll, we'll get to that, that at the end. I want to cover the basic stuff first and then later throw in how to try to freshen things up. Let's, let's move on and, and talk about harmony, the chord structure of a, of a song. What kind of harmony makes for a singable tune? I think you have a lot of options here. Um, I think what you want is a, a chord progression that is intuitive, uh, well, how do I know if it's intuitive, Matt? You kind of just feel it. And you can go to other songs and see what they do. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with you just doing your four chords, you know. I'm sure another song could be written to, to, to chord progressions like that. So that, that's fine, and, that, and, that, and that's a good starting place. Um, I think it can be helpful to, to try to imagine a chord progression as a series of like cascading waterfalls. Uh, if each, let's say that you're working in a, in a sequence where your phrase is four bars and your, and your verse is four phrases. That's going to be pretty common. To have the phrases sort of naturally flow to each one 
to the next one. So there's a logical kind of sequence that the song needs to go somewhere. Uh, it's not arbitrary, but each block, each four-bar block leads to the next phrase naturally. Once you know the song, then, then the sort of grammar of it makes sense. So I want to talk about a song I wrote called See the Destined Day Arise. It's a, it's a tune for, for an old hymn and how the hopefully the chord progression fits that. So the, the thought behind the song was the verses are about the agony of the crucifixion. It's about seeing that day come when he would pay the price, when he would shed his blood for us. So it's a kind of almost gruesome look at the cross, at the pain of it. And then I wanted the chorus to be a response of awe and wonder and gratitude. So my, my concept was for the verses to have more of a minor key thing that would somehow go to major. So then my chord progression needs to accomplish that in some way that's, that's natural, that's fitting. So I have a, a, a four bar, it's an F, um, but I'm gonna call the, the numbers, it starts on D minor, but I'm gonna call the numbers according to F. So D minor would be six. So it starts, see the destined day arise for, see a willing sacrifice. So it goes six, four, one, three, which the three chord I feel like is underutilized. So I was like, yeah, I wanna get that one in there. So basically this three chord, this A minor chord needs to resolve somewhere and where it wants to resolve is back into the six. A is the is the five of, of D. So the second phrase is, is a repeat. The melody's the same and the chord progression's the same. Jesus to redeem our loss hangs upon the shameful cross. Now I decided to do something that's a little bit unexpected. So this is where we're gonna talk a little bit later about twists or unexpected chords. I decided to go from the A to the five in my third phrase. So this is where harmonically I'm trying to take, I'm trying to turn now. I've got that major key chorus in view and I'm trying to pivot to it. So the, the third progression is, Jesus whom but you could bear. Six, pass so great and just as fair. So that's five, six, four, five. And you're thinking now where do we go from the five again? The fourth block is going to take us home into the chorus. So from this five, I want to go back up to the six, and it's going to be a similar chord progression to lines one and two, except now instead of ending on the A minor, it's going to end on the five, on the C, which is going to land me on the F. Every pang and bitter throw, finishing your life of woe, so then we get to the chorus on this big kind of F. Um, let, me, let, me, let me sing the whole verse for you now. We'll, we'll put it together. See the destined day arise. See a willing sacrifice. Jesus to redeem our loss hangs upon the shameful cross. Jesus who but you could bear wrath so great and justice fair. Every pang and bitter throw finishing your life of Christ, we praise your name. Go back to the A, which sets me up for verse two. So that's that's just some thoughts on, on chord progression, having a kind of natural logical flow. It doesn't always have to be like that. That's one example. It might be to your liking or not. That's totally fine. Uh, but that's what I'm trying to describe as an intuitive chord progression. A thousand different ways we could do that. Another tool that I think is sometimes underutilized uh, is inverted chords, uh, because those, again, help lead your progression somewhere. So if you think about power of the cross. 
it starts on the F over A, so first inversion, then it goes to the G over B, and then it goes into C. What, what, the reason that's useful is because the bass line is leading it. Oh, to see the dawn, do, do. When, when you're on that B in the bass, that thing has to resolve up. So there's, there's a satisfaction of resolution of which it's, it's much more powerful than if you did Oh, to see the dawn. That sounds a little bit more schoolboy-ish. I've just learned my four, five, one, and, and see. Where, rather, that's, that's more, there, there's more artistry and, and nuance doing that. And then they, they do it again. The, the Gettys do this a lot on the uh, going into the chorus. This the power. So it's the C over E, which again, that E has nowhere to go, music theory-wise, except up to the F. So it, it, again, it resolves the tension onto the, the chorus, which leads to the sort of satisfaction of landing on, on, the, on the chorus there. Uh, second inversion chords, a little bit harder to use. They'll often help you close a phrase. Uh, Christ the shore and da 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 Last phrase will be, we will hold on to the anchor, it shall there's, there's your D over A, second inversion. It's really just a, a suspended form of the five chord. Never be, there's your A, your five, remove, something like that. So that second inversion is a little bit tougher to use. Sometimes you can use it as a passing chord with, with the bass moving. Uh, but first inversion generally are, are really helpful. You can go overboard with them, uh, but they're useful for pushing you onto the chord that that leading note in the bass is, is going up to. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about rhythm. What rhythmic qualities make a song more congregational? This, this could be, you know, debated. We can have a discussion about this because one of the big issues that comes to mind is syncopation. And I am of the school of thought that generally speaking, for many congregations, notice how nuanced I'm, I'm trying to make this, the more syncopation that you generally have is going to make a song less singable. It's going to make it a little bit harder to learn. It's fine if your church is full of people who listen to rock and roll or hip-hop. Uh, they'll probably do fine with it. So if that's you, roll with it. Have, have, a, have a blast with it. You know, syncopate as much as you can. But for folks from other cultural backgrounds, for folks of older generations, I, I think syncopation works best when you have drums and bass to, to give you that pulse. So then the syncopated note can come off the pulse. What's that song? Everlasting God. So I'm, I'm, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful song. Uh, it's a great melody, but the syncopation, it, it's that's a harder song to do a cappella. If everyone really knows it, fine. But if folks are still just learning it, you can kind of run the a cappella test. Could my whole congregation sing this a cappella just after a few times? Or does it really require you to have that sort of pulsing bass and drum? I'm not against pulsing bass and drum. I'm just suggesting that the more a song really needs it, it may be less singable or, or its use may be more limited to a certain demographic. And actually, I, this is just my hunch. You guys find me afterwards and correct me if you, if you have another view. I think syncopation was typical of praise songs in kind of the 90s and early 2000s. I wonder if it's becoming less common. Has anybody else had this thought, or is it, is it just me that's been sitting around? Thank you right there. So, uh, sorry to interject. I get asked, uh, I kind of have an older congregation, yeah. but they, they're mine because uh, they want those, like, the, the newer songs, they think, like, why, are, why don't you do more upbeat songs for the younger? And I'm like, that's already kind of gone. It's more like sludgy. Mm -hmm. What was your name? Good comment, Jason. Actually, like a lot of the really anthemic songs that folks like today, that young people like, it's on the beat. So like, uh, oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Everything's on the beat. Where your love poured out over me. All right, that one's, that one's syncopated, but it's the last one in the phrase. Over uh, me. Now my soul cries out. So it's syncopated at the end only. 
which I think that's, that's probably the, the place that's easiest to get away with it. It feels more natural. It's almost like putting a little period on the musical phrase. So I just commend writing songs that, that have it right on the beat. Uh, yes, syncopation is a wonderful tool. Maybe use, use sparingly. That's, that's just my, my view. Take it or leave it. Um, the other issue I want to bring up with rhythm is uh, coming back to this idea of having a pulse or note duration that matches the, the syllable accent in, in the poetry. So I love uh, that song we were singing earlier. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Notice how the, the accented syllables. Da, 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 da. So the ones that are those, those dotted A's are the accented syllables. And so the, that's the reason that melody works with that text. If it were, if it were, um, if you didn't have the duration length, it wouldn't be as interesting of a melody. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If they were all the same value, it's not bad because it's a good melody, but adding in the dot uh, helps accent, the, the, it helps bring out the lyrics. Rock and my redeemer. It makes it more spoken, makes it feel more natural like speech. So, so think about that. It can be helpful, honestly, to like take a lyric, you know, whatever, whatever the, the text might be, and speak it and see where you naturally pause or take longer, and that's going to be your, your half note instead of the quarter note or your whole note instead of the half note or your, your dotted eighth instead of the eighth. Um, and finally, form by form, I mean structure of a song, uh, not just is it verse, 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 or is it verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, but more within a verse, what's the structure of the phrases? Um, you know, if you map it out, is it A, A, B, C? Is it A, B, C, D? Are they all the same? I think especially if you're just getting started writing, the A, A, B, A form is a wonderful form uh, because you really only have to write two phrases worth of material um, and then the first phrase gets reused. Or A, A prime, B, A prime. So uh, this is a Matt Boswell conference, so I hope you guys know Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. So just, just sing the first verse with me and notice how little, I'm, I'm not saying this as a slam on this song, I'm saying this to, to highlight the genius of this song. It's a compliment to this song, how little musical material it actually has. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the kings. So that's A. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail hue. That's A prime. It's very similar. Longing in our darkness, now the light of life has... That's your B. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom. A prime. So there's not actually that much there, uh, but what is there is, is really good. That's a, just a, a great example of a singable, simple melody that uses form to an advantage because uh, the form is so simple, which allows you to have such deep words. Uh, so sometimes there's trade-offs, like if, if, if the music is more complicated, then sometimes the words need to be simpler. And that's okay. There, there's a place for songs like that. But with this one, the form is so simple. So you're, re, you're reusing a lot of the same melodic phrases, which allows you to have the, the richness of the poetry that, that they've put in there. All right, questions on, on section four, some of the technical stuff. Tell me your name. Trevor. Trevor, yes. So I write zero music, I'm just lyrics. But right on the last thing you said, so what are the advantages of lyrics in a, in a song? Because it's Yeah, I mean, so you're, you're talking to someone who tends to work in more of a, a hymn, modern hymn idiom. So I'm, I'm sort of answering for that. That's the space that I inhabit more. And having a, a set meter is going to really help, I think, um, with something that's singable. Uh, because generally, if, whether it's common meter, you know, 8-6, 8-6, whether it's long meter, 8-8-8-8, you know, whether it's short meter, whether it's other, you know, the, you can look up these metrical indices in the back of your hymnal. Um, the, the standardization of the number of syllables is going to help you come up with a melody that is more compact, predictable on the whole. But as I'm going to say later, there's value in sort of breaking out of the mold as well and doing something that makes the song fresh, 
slightly unpredictable, slightly new, slightly original, it, it can be a good thing too. So that's kind of a non-answer. It's sort of like, yeah, that's good, but you don't have to do that. Yeah, what's your name? Luke. Hey, Luke. You know, it's hard to say because I, I feel like melody and harmony are, are so closely linked. So I don't just write a chord progression and then try to write a melody over it. So I guess I would say a melody first. But for me, the melody always implies the chord progression that's under it. Uh, but I also generally start with lyrics and then add a melody to it. So like retuning an old hymn or I'll have a lyrical idea uh, and then I'll set a melody to that. It's harder for me to just write a melody. I'm like, well, how many, how, how many notes should it be? You know, how many syllables? Give, give me, I need some constraint. Otherwise, the blank page is like, well, I could just make this phrase go on and on and on, but that probably wouldn't be helpful. Does that answer your question, Luke? Other questions? Yeah, your name? Um, Dan, you have excellently segued me into my next point. <laughs> Roman numeral 5.1, imitate the masters. Uh, so here I want to talk about just some strategies for getting started. And what I want to say under this point is it can be really helpful to look at some of the old classic hymn melodies of the church uh, that everyone, at least up until our grandparents' generation, would have sung and, and try to figure out what makes them such good melodies? Now, they may sound dated to our ears. That's okay. Uh, but why does Come Thou Fount work? Why does Amazing Grace work? Why does A Mighty Fortress work? And actually, try to write some songs in the style of one of those tunes. Just like in, in, in visual arts, as a student, you have to imitate the great masters first. You have to learn how to draw and paint in the style of the greats before you can go on and go outside of the box and sort of do your own thing. Uh, because it's, it's a matter of technique and understanding the, the tradition. So generally, my, my recommendation would be learn the theory backwards and forward and learn for what makes for a good song and then figure out how you can develop that into something new. Figure out how you can generate your own voice. So you don't want to stop there. You don't just want to write, you know, Rock of, Rock of Ages 2.0. You want to write Rock of Ages dance style. You want to come up with your own style but I think the way to get there is to do the work of figuring out how good melodies operate. Uh, so grab an old hymnal and, and, and try, to, try to figure that out. Uh, so I mean, any melody you write is gonna obey the rules of music theory, in a sense, um, for what we're doing. I mean, you're not gonna be writing like atonal serialism, uh, Schoenberg style, uh, for, for the church, it's just, it's just not gonna happen. But even that, so that, that's the thing, people think of modern music, modernist, you know, 20th century music as, as not having any rules. No, it has lots of rules, it just has different rules. You know, so for serialism, literally it had to be in a series, you had to go through all 12 tones before you came back to the, to the first one again. So that's imposing a kind of structure. Uh, now it sounds, it sounds strange to many ears, but there, there is rules within that. So anyway, I could say more on that, but I'll stop. Um, Try using one organizing principle. Um, this was a way of actually limiting ourselves so that you have one idea to sort of structure the, the song around. This is just coming from my own experience that sometimes it feels overwhelming when it's like, okay, here's a great text. How do I write a, a tune to it? Or here's what I want to express to the Lord. I don't have a text. How can I just start with, with a tune? It can be useful to constrain yourself. So just say, I'm going to write a melody that's based on the major scale uh, or, or major chord. Just use the major triad as your kind of organizing structure. You know, like I was thinking about Immortal Invisible. It's almost all triads. Immortal. That's the four. Invisible. That's the five. Now it's making the one. God only was. Watch A-A-B-A. So A, 
And it's, it's almost all triads. Du, da, 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 da. Wow. It seems so unoriginal, but it works. It's a classic hymn. Du, da, da, da. And now we're going to do a different sort of jump du, to get to the five. Du, da, 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 so I would say that's a winning melody. I would say that that one does, you know, deserves a place in our hymnals, and it's basically just built around chords. Now we don't, we don't exactly. Modern music doesn't exactly use triads that way, so that's why it sounds a little bit dated. I think if you were just learning it for the first time, didn't grow up singing it, but it's a nice compositional constraint to say I'm going to write a song based on a, a triad like that, or decide you're going to write a song with just two or three chords. So like nothing but the blood again, classic hymn. That works. You can you can reset in lots of different styles. That's two chords. It's just G and D. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now you you can you can set it to different chords. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, you can do that, all that stuff with it, but at, at, at the core of the song is written in the hymnal with only two chords. Um, so can you write a song with just two chords? It's a good kind of question to ask ourselves. Can the melody be interesting enough to carry the interest without relying on all these cool chords I learned in my music theory class? Uh, it's just, just a nice exercise. Or what about a smaller melodic range to say, I'm going to write a song that basically goes a fifth. No more. I was thinking about Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. That song's range is an augmented fourth. It's not even a fifth. So it, it starts on G. Marvelous. So the lowest note is the F, that F sharp. This grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. We're just right around here. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb were spilled. So that's the highest note. Da, 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 da. Even the chorus, you would think the chorus would go up to grace, grace, God's grace, but it doesn't. Grace, grace, God's grace. Da, 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 da. That's the highest note. That's a genius song. It's been blessing Christians for hundreds of years, so, or for, for 200 years. So, Consider uh, that, that sort of thing, or grab a rhythmic pattern from a traditional hymn and let that dictate the pulse. So I uh, found this song called Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy by Catherine Bonar. Um, the, the refrain in the lyric is, Jesus is mine. And it, it conveys this wonderful sense of, if all I have is Christ, then I have all I need. Uh, and I, so the lyric I found really powerful. I wanted to, to rewrite some aspects of the, of the lyric, reshape it a little bit. It's a public domain text. Um, and I, as I was playing through it, I kind of subconsciously realized that the pulse of the text, the poetic meter, is the same as nearer my God to thee. Um, and so as I, again, talking about sort of subconsciously plagiarizing, uh, I, I realized the melody that I was writing followed not the melodic uh, direction, but at least the rhythmic pulse of, of Nearer My Gantity. So I started. Fade, fade each earthly joy, Jesus is mine. Which you could sing. Nearer my God to thee, nearer to and as the song goes on, uh, it's, it follows that same pulse, but the, the melody does something entirely different. So I realized, actually, I'm able to, in a sense, borrow from a past use of a text that has this many syllables with this accent pattern and just set a totally different melody to it um, and hopefully take something that's good and recycle it for another good use. Uh, so that's another compositional strategy you can use uh, in terms of getting started. Um, my encouragement number three is remember that less is more. Try not to, to overdo it. Um, generally, a, a melody, if it works with just piano or with just guitar, if, uh, I'll often use the bike test. So I love riding my bike around DC. I think it's the best way to get around Washington. Uh, and I, as I ride, I, I sometimes sing. Um, and if it works when I'm on my bike, that is not always, but it's, it's often a good sign that it's gonna work in church because it's, it's unaccompanied, I'm just out and about. Uh, so 
remembering that less is more, try to have a melody that does, just does one thing well, that, that's, that tells the story of this song well. Um, so those, those are some suggestions on getting started. Let me get to uh, the last page here and, and quickly uh, try to reiterate that <clears throat> a song can be singable and original. Um, singable not mean it's totally boring or totally predictable. In fact, trying to write a song that's both intuitive and fresh, that's kind of like the holy grail. If I could write more songs like that, I would. It's really hard. So it takes discipline. And if you guys were here for some of the other songwriting sessions, just remember everything that they told us about discipline and picking up old songs and refining them and changing them and collaborating with other people who are brighter and, and, and uh, more gifted than we are and taking their feedback. Uh, and the really important thing is testing the song out. So test it out with other people who enjoy singing, whether that's friends, whether that's family. Test it out with, with a small group from your church, perhaps your, your church musicians. And then finally, try to test it out with your congregation and, and, and see how it goes. Um, but the hopeful approach is to have a song that is generally intuitive, natural, and yet maybe has one or two twists in it that makes it unique, that this song does differently that, that, that other songs don't do. So what are some ways that we can try to keep a song fresh or original? There's a bunch of bullet points here. You cannot do all of these in every song. That would make a song weird. So it's, this is not like I must include all these. It's pick one or two of these strategies and try to employ them. So like, what I mean by non-chord tones under melody, uh, just to go back to Jesus' mind, because on Jesus' mind, I basically tried to do this on many of the phrases, is taking a note that's not in the chord and making that the note of the melody, especially on the downbeat. So this is that first phrase, fade, fade each so I'm using the F note here, but it's a C minor chord. That's the suspension four to three. Earthly joy, Jesus is mine. Second phrase is the same thing. Stronger than fleeting hopes, Jesus is mine. So that G, that's the ninth. It's the B flat in the, in the A chord. Jesus is mine. Now I'm going to do the ninth pitch in the F minor chord. Dark is, so that's an anticipation because it's going up. Dark is the wind, another suspension. Wilderness, same phrase. Earth has no resting place. Jesus alone can bless. Jesus is mine. Uh, so that's how I tried to, to employ that strategy on Jesus' mind. So you can see those, those various notes. Just think of Yesterday by the Beatles, because uh, that song does that really well. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen to that on repeat. You know, da, da, da. It even starts that way. Um, in terms of tonality or, or mode, there what I'm thinking of is you can make a song fresh just by using certain shadings, certain um, keys, uh, using the minor key can be a helpful way to do this because so many worship songs are in the major key. So if you want a song that sounds fresh, just write a minor key song. Easy as that. Uh, or, you know, we talked earlier about a song of mine that starts minoring and, and goes to major. Uh, so if you, if you think about those, those sorts of things. Or grabbing a different sort of scale, uh, like a pentatonic scale, instead of using all the notes in the major scale, just use five. Uh, so you guys know, uh, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. It's just a minor pentatonic. Just those are the five notes in it. Um, Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, love. Now it kind of cheats here. And power, because it, uh, it, it goes, it does the five, major five to minor one thing. But that, that's an example of a song that really, other than that F sharp, just uses five notes. Or I was thinking about There's a Fountain, which incidentally, if you do it in B flat, uses the exact same five notes. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's just those five notes. It doesn't use the, the E flat, doesn't use the A. The whole song. Um, 
So limiting yourself to doing like a pentatonic thing, just all, again, strategies for, for keeping a song fresh or for giving it a, a unique sound. Uh, under harmony, uh, thinking about having an unexpected chord, um, just getting outside the box and decide I'm gonna use one chord in this song that's gonna be unexpected. So for me, in uh, He Will Hold Me Fast, it's... Um, Christ will hold me fast when the tempter will prevail. He will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold. Here it is. Through life's fearful path. So I, do, I use the C sharp minor as as the five chord to get me to, to the to the sixth. Now it's not that original. It's been done in a, in a thousand songs. It's not been done as much in, in that many worship songs. So I felt like I could. It's maybe you don't like it. Maybe you find it a little bit sort of Broadway. That's that's fine. So that's, but that's what I mean by unexpected chord. I had never used that chord before, so it was unexpected for me. So I was trying to do something different there. Uh, or I'm trying, to, I'm trying to write a song right now uh, with Matt Papa. It's not done. Uh, called The Hands Which Were Nailed to the Cross. And I, what key are we doing it in? We're trying to use the minor four. It's to start the hands which were nailed to the cross. Uh, that's all we have. There, I mean, that's, that, that's all we know we have. There's lots of ideas after that. And, uh, that's the best part. Um, or, or an unex, unexpected progression. Um, so this is, this is pretty similar to Unexpected Chord, but if you guys know the recent Sovereign Grace album, Prayers of the Saints, uh, the very final track. When the war is over and the battles are done, we, it's all over E, the sort of pedal point, which I like. We will see our Savior right. I like this. It's a sort of minor five over one thing. Riding on the sun. I love that progression. I haven't heard in a praise song before. Maybe I've just missed it, but to me, that's unexpected. So that, 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 that clicks that song over into a different category for me of, ah, now I really like that song. Um, other rhythmic things here, uh, I'm not going to give a lot of examples for these, but phrasing across the bar. This is why In Christ Alone, when, when every drummer first learns it, it's their least favorite song, because it's like, is it in, is it in three, or is it in, then is it in four? Like, do, 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 two, and three, one, two, three, and a one, and a two, three, and one, you know? So that, yeah, it's like, what, what's this drummer supposed to do there? But that's the genius of that song, is that the, the phrase starts on beat three. And so was that a two-beat bar and now a four-beat bar? Well, maybe, or it's really just a, a bunch of three-beat bars. So starting the phrase there is what clicks that melody over into being more fresh and, and less predictable. It's obviously quite well known to all of us, but when they're first writing it. Uh, unusual time signature, think of how deep the Father's love for us in five. Um, mixed meter is, is songs that are in like 4-4, four, four, but maybe have a 2-4 bar uh, so that there's kind of something crooked about the way the rhythm feels. Or uh, I just played He Will Hold Me Fast, which is kind of in like a, a five thing at first, and then it goes to four in the chorus. Uh, extra measure or half measure, uh, you know, something like His Mercy is More. What makes that, that song helpful uh, that pause, you know, that's that's an that's an added little three eight measure there, depending on how you count it. But that makes the melody more interesting. Uh, so that's what I mean when I'm just talking about just little things because they didn't have to do that. You it, you could obey the music the rules of music theory and, and not have that, but the fact that it's in there is makes a song better. Odd number of phrases. Watch out for every song you write having like eight phrases or just four. Try just try a seven phrase song. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I'm not going to play it now. Think of it later. Seven phrases. It works. Seven musical phrases. The sixth lyrical phrase gets repeated, but it's a different musical bit. Or having a different melody on each phrase. This is why. Uh, the Eventide tune for Abide With Me is such a genius tune because the all of them, except for the last one, have pretty much the exact same rhythm. It's just that the melody changes each time. Uh, so that to me is like, yeah. Uh, when you really analyze it, it makes for a very, for a very special song.
Any final questions? Yeah, what's your name? Great name. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, watch out. When you're starting to get below the low A flat or A even, you'd watch out. Um, I, I'll go up to E flat or E. I just won't hang out up there. You can hit it once or twice. But again, from C to shining C, that's, that's a safe way to go. Any other final questions? Yeah, Leanne. Um, I don't know of anything, I'm sure there's stuff out there. I feel like I've more learned by, by chatting with other people and stuff like this, not, not by books. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I don't know of anything. But honestly, if, if the person is, is musically uh, analytical, Trinity hymnal, hymns of grace, uh, just good hymnals. Guys, thank you so much for, for taking this time. Let me pray for you. Lord, we pray that you would give all of us here as writers uh, strength and inspiration and love for you and love for our people. Lord, help us to care for our brothers and sisters uh, by writing songs that will serve them in praising you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.